Thank you for being with us today. We would love to have you join us in person. To partner with us or to give online, go to www.upperroomohio.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Let's get going here. So a couple of weeks, last week, spoke on worship and talked about individual worship. And I, and I was able to, to really talk about the power of worship. And one of, one of our favorite things here, matter of fact, we were considering dropping off the name up, Worship Center from Upper Room and just called the church and uh, change all the branding, everything to just Upper Room. But we really feel the Lord say like, no, you're... You're a house of worship. You're to go after worship. You're to plant Jesus in the center, host his presence, and keep worship as the forefront of the ministry. So, so anyways, that's what we've done, and, and we want to be known as a house of worship, a house of prayer, a people of his presence. Those are the things that we really want to go after. So, um, so anyway, that, that was just really powerful. And in the midst of that sermon and in the midst of talking last week, we began to go into the corporate benefits of worship. And briefly just begin to discuss like the corporate breakthroughs and the things that we get as a corporate worship, as a body of worshipers, as a bride that loves to worship. And, and so we, we talked about individuals, but there was just this nugget of, of worship. So Nicole and I were planning today to kind of elaborate on the corporate blessing of the body, the corporate blessing, the corporate grace of worship. And, and so it's part of our heart of like worship is simply a reflection. It's an outward expression of the inward heart to Jesus. Uh, worship is simply the revelation of who he is to you, and it's, it's reflected in our expression to him. That's what worship is. It's a, it's a heart display of who we see him as, who we've encountered him as, who we know him as. And the deeper our revelation, the deeper we've encountered him, the deeper our worship will be. So that was kind of last week's message. So we get to talking about this thing, and, it, and through the week it began to challenge me, what are the corporate blessings of, of a body of church, and, and specifically in worship, and specifically in the context of, of church. And it brought me back to a question. There's about four or five guys in my life that will ask me questions that I don't have the answers to. Or, or, or they are, are courageous enough to prod and poke and push into things that are actually offensive. Anybody have some people like that in your life? And uh, it's hard. It's challenging, but it makes you a better you. And it lets you see things the way you may not see them without these people in your life. One of them is a good friend of mine, Jamie Van Gelder from Minnesota. He speaks here about once a year. He'll be coming here late winter this year. And um, one of the things he asked me once, we're, we're at lunch at Harrison's and Nicole, him and I, and, and he asked me, he says, what do people get at Upper Room? Why does Upper Room exist? What can they get there that they can't get on the internet, that they can't get on YouTube? What, what is it? So he was challenging me and he was digging, he's pushing, what's your mission statement? Why? Why is that a mission? You know, he's doing one of those numbers. And, and I just remember sitting there reflecting with him, and, and a couple things that we began to birth out in conversation was, well, one of the things they can't get on YouTube is corporate worship. One of the things you can't get from YouTube is the laying on of hands with impartation. You know, the Lord, Holy Spirit can impart, obviously. Obviously, we don't always need people for that. But there is a benefit. There is a blessing. There is something when Paul would commission and sin in the laying on of hands. The laying on of hands for sickness and those things. You can't get that alone on Bethel Music or Bethel TV or those things. Here's, here's a couple other things is, you know, you can't get family at home alone. 
You can't get community. You can't get encouragement. You can't get that sense of, 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 of brotherhood or sisterhood or, or family or like-mindedness or unity. And there is power in that. So that was some of the things we were going to elaborate on, on today. And, and I just think like in this, it's just this beautiful thing of what we get. My friend Paul Yudal, he said this. He said, there are blessings we experience as we come to him individually, but there are other measures of grace available only when we come to him as a family, as a body. Amen. See, there is, there is this thing, it's this beautiful thing. How many, how many here have ever done sports? You've ever been a part of any athletic team whatsoever? There's these team sports that are teams, but you're competing as individuals. Gymnastics will be one of them. In gymnastics, you compete oftentimes as individuals and then also holistically as a team. Cross country is the same thing. You're running as an individual, but your team's getting ranked. Wrestling is another one. Wrestling, you wrestle, you get points, you wrestle as individuals, but then your team also gets placements. So that's the same thing in the body is like we're on this personal race, this personal relationship with Jesus, this, this personal journey. But then when we get to come into a body, now it's also a team. It's a family. And that's a beautiful part of it is that you're not alone. The beautiful thing is that, that there is something bigger than you that you're a part of. There's something that, that you're doing. See, see, many of us, we may not have yet helped Steve Bowen move people into the tornado things, but we're a part of that because we're in the same family as him. See, he, he's part of uh, the Dayton Living City Project, and, and they're moving people. They've moved hundreds of people, displaced families, back into their homes with new furniture, you know, and, and, and they're a part of this, right? Well, um, this is the beautiful thing about a family, that we're all a part of that, and we all get to have a piece of that pie, in a sense. We're contributing, we're financially contributing, we're supporting, we're praying. Like, that's some of the biggest things we can do is pray for one another, encourage one another, lift one another up. Oftentimes, I check in on him. You're not doing too much, are you, Steve? You're not, you're getting rest, right? You're, you're not overdoing it, are you? I'm worried about you. That's family. Let me go to say what James says. James, in the, in the fifth chapter, we're going to read 13 through 20. James, James puts it like this, and I believe, James, he, he's writing this letter, and he's writing a letter to all of the Jewish Christians of the time. He's, he's writing a letter to the Jews who are believers. And he's giving them instruction. And, and his entire letter is really based on encouragement and what he's doing to lift up the body in that time. And here's the fifth chapter. He says this. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call to the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with the oil in the name of the Lord. See, this is, this is amazing. So James is saying to the church, he's saying, listen, if there's any among you sick, call on the elders, let them lay hands. So what he's saying here is he's like, actually depend on the church. Depend on those and invite others into your process. Come, bring your junk, bring your stuff to the church, bring your sickness, bring it, and let the church help you through the mess. Then it says this in verse 15, in the prayer, it says, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, now this is going to be the focus verse of today. Verse 16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now this, this is just fun. It says, Can, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. It's like, this is, it, it gets even more, more um, it gives us even more responsibility in the, the couple of verses to come. The prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, first it's saying, if you have sin, come. You know, if you have this sickness, come. And, so, and we begin to talk over the last several weeks about shame. 
and how shame actually turns your thinking and, and shame gets you into this fear, gets you in control. They were naked and they clothed themselves. They tried to take matters into their own hands, right? Well, then, then at the end of that, the, the, one of the final uh, attachments or symptoms of shame is you begin to blame others. Well, they didn't call me. I didn't go back to church because I thought they were going to judge me. I didn't go back to church. I was embarrassed. And they, you know, no one even checked on me. No, when I did go, they didn't even shake my hand or hug me, right? So Adam, he, he's blaming Eve. And then when Eve is, is questioned, she's blaming the serpent. So here's the thing. That's, that's what shame does. So, but it's saying, he says, the righteous prayer. It says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So now shame's been removed. We've brought our sins. We're prayed for. And now the righteous prayer, it says, is fervent, is effective, is powerful, is energetic. Then it goes in to say this, verse 17. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain for three and a half years. Verse 18. And he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Now here's the challenge to us. Here's the challenge, and here's part of a corporate grace that we get to walk in, and we get to be responsible for, and we get to be involved in one another's lives. It says this, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from error of their way will save them from death and cover all the multitude of sins. Listen, it's not always, again, this is individual, but it's also family. So if somebody wanders away, if somebody falls short, if somebody's in sin, it's our responsibility as a family to help pull them up out of that mess, brush them off, clean them off, so that we can love them and see the Holy Spirit transform them. That, that's the beautiful thing about body. That's a beautiful thing about community. It's a beautiful thing about the bride. And when we begin to just plant Jesus in the center, and then we just worship him as a family in unity, all of a sudden when somebody falls short, when somebody's hurting, when somebody's messing up, when somebody's fall, like, like just a mess, then we as a family get to help them up. It's, it's this cool thing. You know, it, it totally changes everything. That when you see somebody hurting and it's somebody you love and you care about. Let me just be honest. As a paramedic, I love seeing broken bones. Like I had a partner once. He'd see like deformity and stuff. He'd like start vomiting. But me, I'm like, oh, man, those are cool. I don't get to see this very often. It's not something you go out on every day. Like we go on falls and chest pains every day. But it's not very often you get to see like this twisted mangled arm or this leg barely hanging on. I'm like, yeah, give me that thing. Straight, give me the split, you know. That's the cool stuff for me. I, I really enjoyed broken bones. But when it's your daughter and you see that thing that looks like an S, it's a whole different story, right? And, and Nicole, um, that was, when they were trying to take the x-rays, they had to keep moving it. And they hadn't yet given her much pain medication. Um, actually, they wanted to give her straight fentanyl. We're like, yeah, let's, let's hold off on that. She's doing okay for now. Let's just try Motrin at first. And then they did the x-rays, and she's crying and screaming. I'm like, oh, man, what did I do? What kind of decision did we just make? So Nicole, she goes to the car, and she just needs, like, some space. She can't take her baby crying. She's crying. <laughs> and uh, me, I'm like, I'm, like, trying to hold it together. I'm like, come on, baby. You know, let's, let's do this. But here's the thing. When you see somebody you love in pain, I'm trying to do everything I can. When they're starting the IV, I'm like, hey, honey, what do you want for dinner? Aren't you hungry? You haven't had anything since breakfast. You know, what do you want? I want noodles. What, what was that? What kind of noodles do you want? I'm trying to lift her out to think differently than what she was focusing on the pain. See, I'm calling her who she's supposed to be rather than the mess that she's in. 
That's the same thing with the body. Like, like they're in pain. There's something going on. There's some hurt that's happening. There's some issue. There's, maybe it's a marital problem, a relational problem, a financial problem, whatever it might be. A sin, a temptation. Now, here's the beautiful thing. We get to be a part of the process not to push people down, but to lift them up. I, I believe there's something happening in America, in the world right now, honestly, I believe there's something happening in the kingdom that there is a call back to purification and righteousness. I, I feel that there's an uprooting of things. There's an exposure of things. There's not the Me Too movement isn't just for Hollywood and stars. I believe there's something happening even in the kingdom where ministers and preachers and pastors are being exposed of relationships they were having outside their marriage. Financial things, integrity things. And here's what I think. I think it's being exposed and it's being uprooted, not so that we can condemn them and push them down and say there's another blemish for the bride. I feel that the Lord is allowing this to happen so things can come to light so that the God of light can handle it. So that the God of light can get into the roots and the hurts and go deep so that there's a purification and a righteousness that the bride can be stronger, those people can be stronger, those ministries can be stronger. And I'm not getting into this whether they go back to ministry or not. No, they need healing first. They need true healing. Their marriages need mended. That's not the topic. Like politicians, these things are coming out into the surface. They're coming out publicly so that the Lord can do some work and do something. Now, it's our job as believers to celebrate who people are supposed to be and help call them to that place rather than keep them down. Like Todd Bentley being exposed for some stuff recently, it's not our job to say, I knew it. I knew he was never transformed right. I knew he was still in that. No, our job is now we pray for his wife and his, his, his second wife, and we pray for those who are affected. We pray for those who are hurt in this process. We pray for maybe believers that might turn their hearts from God. We pray for the pre-believers who may use this as another excuse not to turn to God. We pray for these things, and these things are being exposed so that there's a purification. See, here's the thing. We've done a really good job in, in, in culture. We've done a really good job in church culture. There was a pastor that committed suicide, and just before he committed suicide this week, he's tweeting because he had just preached a, a, a funeral of somebody committing suicide. He's tweeting, there's always somebody to talk to. There's always somebody there for you. This is not the best choice, you know, those kinds of things. But yet, yeah, then he himself commits suicide, and it just really brought this verse to light for me. Confess your sins one to another. Pray for one another. Verse 16. Now, now here's what I believe the context of James means in that. Is this, I believe he's saying, listen, there are people here for you. There is a culture here for you. There is an openness. There is a vulnerability. There is a safe place for you to share your heart, to share your shortcomings, to share your temptations, to share your depression, to share your feelings. There's a safe place. And if you do that, you're going to be healthy. You're going to get help and you're going to be better. I believe we've done a really poor job as a church, as a kingdom, as, as a culture of saying, no, we've got our junk together, just be sinless. And once you get forgiven, you just manage that and, and, and take care of that and we're all good. No, I went through a whole year of depression last year. Things like lust started to creep back in. So what I do, I told Nicole, I told Josh, I told people that were really close to me of some hardships and things and some temptations I was facing. Why? Because I didn't want it to go any further and I had a safe place to do that. Now here's the thing, 
The, the issue with Samson wasn't straight to Delilah. The issue was compromise, and it was the little things that, that took root that created a bigger mess later. It was using a jawbone of a donkey to actually do a righteous thing and to, to do good things with it, but he was not supposed to be touching dead animals. He wasn't supposed to be drinking wine, but he was starting to mess around with grapes. It's the small compromises if he had just told somebody when it was small. If he had just opened up and been vulnerable and transparent when it was small, would he have fallen to Delilah? It's the same stuff. It's not always just the big thing. Listen, most relationships don't just start straight out at an affair. No, most of the time it's a feeling. It's an emotional connection. It's a look. It's that first thing. And if we can create such a safe place here, the corporate grace of a safe place, that the moment you start feeling down, the moment you start feeling a temptation, the moment you start feeling less than what you're called to be, you can tell somebody, you can tell your home group, you can tell a Bible study, and then all of a sudden they get to lift you out and be part of the process to say, no, you're not supposed to live there, you're supposed to live here. Even God's invitation is come up here, I'll show you great and mighty things. To see from the perspective of heaven, to see from the perspective where God's calling you to live, not the perspective of shame and sin. That's the beauty about community. That's the beauty about people who love you so much. They're going to call that out, and then they're going to have a prophetic word about it. Then they're going to encourage you, and they're going to love you, and they're not going to kick you while you're down. Whew, that was good. That was really good. I'm just sick of hearing people falling. I'm sick of hearing this stuff's going on, and some of it's in prophetic cultures. And I believe it's because there's no safe place for people to actually get real help. Like, there's not a safe place always in your job or in your family or in your friendship or your circles or, or church that you can actually come out with who you're really being. Not who you're supposed to be, but who you're being. And I think it's time that we just create a safe culture. And, 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 and Josh, this is what he thrives on. Creating a culture of safety, creating a culture of honor, a culture of reconciliation, a culture of confrontation, and a culture of us being real. Like, I am real. I, I don't want to fake something. I don't want to act like I'm somebody that I'm not. I want to be real. And that is one of the blessings of a true healthy bride is I get to be real and I'm not afraid of the condemnation, judgment, or shame that you're going to give me because I'm real and I know that we are a culture that's going to lift one another up. We're going to celebrate that. Like here's what that kind of culture allows. We are really good at putting band-aids on things. In general, in our culture, we're good at putting band-aids on things, covering up. Yep, I'm good. Hey, good morning. How are you? Good. How are you? That's just an autotomic response. Good morning, how are you? Good, how are you? It's, it's automatic. Hey, how's it going? Good, how about you? Good. No, like, when I ask that, I really mean it. Like, how are you? And I don't expect just your auto, auto, automatic answer. I, I want the truth. Yeah, life kind of sucks right now. Like, it's okay to say that. Like, life's got me down right now. Like, Adam and Jenny, they shared their story last week at the, at the marriage thing. Like, yeah, life's been kind of tough. We both lost our jobs. We had a sick kid go to the hospital that was, could, could be very serious. It wasn't, but it could have been. You know, we've had a rough season, but God, but we're choosing thankfulness, but we're, but we're trying to convince ourselves it's going to be right. We're trusting in the Lord, even when it doesn't look good. That was the key to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The, like, they couldn't deny the fact that they were getting thrown in the fiery furnace. Sometimes you can't deny the diagnosis, 
If you deny the diagnosis, then you deny the need for the miracle. I used to go into the reports like this and cancers like, no, we will only believe the report of the Lord. Whose report shall you believe? We shall believe the report of the Lord. Any, any other Pentecostal people in here remember that song? It's like the choir version. Whose report shall you believe? Then like the guys, we shall believe the report of the Lord. So beginning to convince myself that like I'm not even going to believe the diagnosis because I've got so much faith, that's not even a diagnosis of cancer. It's not even allowed. No, that bone was broken this week. It was broken. So then our prayer shifted to like we started off in prayer of, let me, let me just backtrack here. I'm going all over for a moment. It says, bring the it's sick to the elders, right? Bring it to the elders. Bring the elders. Bring the church into your mess, into your pain, into your illness, and let's pray. So there was something comforting knowing that we have a body of believers, a bride here, a family here, that when we're on our way from Cincinnati to Dayton Children's, I'm telling Nicole, text the intercessors now. She's like, I said, text them that the, that the bone will mend back in place right now. And, and she's like, honey, it's deformed. They said it's broke. I was like, do you not believe the God that, that made dry bones come to life? Do you not believe the God that created dust into a human being? He can mend a bone in the name of Jesus. I kind of went into that mode. She's like, yeah, I believe. Then you text it, woman. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. I said everything else, but I didn't say that. So she's not here to defend herself. So anyway, like, I'm like, this is the God of the universe. Now, once we got to x-ray and it's broke and both bones are literally like just messed up. Your bones are supposed to be like this. Hers are like that. It was nasty. So anyway, I was like, all right, now text them and pray that surgery is not needed, that this one little procedure they're going to try and attempt to avoid surgery works. That's when our breakthrough came. That's, that's when it occurred. That's when it happened. Like, that's the comfort we know, and we got a praying culture. But what our culture is really good at is not being open and not reaching out, not asking for help, not admitting our shortcomings or faults or issues, because we can just do this on our own. You are part of something bigger than your own. Amen. This week, I had, a, I had a physical, and I had one of those 12-lead EKGs where you're, like, on the treadmill, and you got all those patches on you. And usually, I'm just going to be real with you, usually when I know that's coming, I have Nicole shave my chest. Because I've went in there long enough where these, these young girls shave my chest and then I've got polka dots everywhere. So I'm like, man, I don't want them to do it. Baby, will you just do it? So she'll help me. So anyway, I forgot to do that this year. So I go in there and I was like, oh, man. And this dude, he's like, I was like, I forgot to shave. He's like, no, I think it'll work. I think we can get it. So he's like using alcohol and then this sandpaper. And he's like sandpapering it off. I was like, well, that's not comfortable, but whatever. I was like... <laughs> Better than patches, I guess. So he puts these 10 patches on me, and, and then all of a sudden at the end, like, first off, I was like, I was like <sighs> me and Matt, I think, both did this. Like, we didn't realize you just stop when you're done, and you just tell him you're done. So I'm at, like, stage four, and he's like, now, this one's kind of an awkward stage. It's like kind of a run, kind of a walk, but it's uphill. So do whatever you're comfortable with. You can run or you can walk. And I'm like, <laughs> so... And I'm like, I don't know what to do right now. I don't know how to run or walk. And he's like, don't worry. He's like, how you doing? Where's the scale at? I was like, it's like six. And like, I will not let myself be a 10. 
I won't. I don't care how hard it is. Like, 10 means I'm dying, and I'm not dying right now. So, so anyway, he's like, okay. He's like, all right, time for the next stage. Now, this one's easier because it's a full-on run, so it's easier. It's not that weird stage in between. So, like, I, he takes my blood pressure, and you don't stop the whole time. You just take it. So I'm like, and I'm like, I'm running up Mount Everest right now. And he's like, isn't that easier? And I'm like, no, it's not easier. I'm straight running up the hill now. He's like, it should be easier. I was like, it's not. You get on here and see if it's easier. So then I'm 16 minutes into this thing. And I'm like, and then he takes my blood pressure. After two minutes of that phase, he takes your blood pressure and checks your pulse again. And he's like, so how is it? I was like, I'm good, man. I was like, but how many more phases has this thing got? And he's like, oh, it's over when you're done. When you're ready, you just tell me you're done. Wait, I was waiting for you to tell me when I was done. He's like, no, are you done? I was like, yeah, I'm done. Yeah, I'm done. He's like, yeah, it was just, I told you at the beginning, at your pace, and when you're done, you're done. I'm like, I didn't hear that. So I think Matt ended up doing the same thing. So I was on that stinking thing. Like, I get back to the stations, and the guys are talking like, man, that was 11 minutes. I was like, I was 16. I had a whole nother face in all of you. It's like sweat is dripping off. It's dripping down my elbows. And I'm like, I got me a towel. Felt like I just did like a CrossFit workout. So anyway, get to the point. I got these patches on me, all right? And, and I go to take them off, and I'm like, oh! It was ripping hair off, every patch, all 10 of them. Clumps of hair. I'm like, oh, man. So, so anyway, we're really good about putting, this has a point. We're really good about putting <laughs> Band-Aids on. All right, and covering up those wounds, those hurts, those issues. And then sometimes when we go to rip them off, it hurts a little bit. I'm not going to deny that. It hurts a little bit. But the moment we get those off, the moment we take the Band-Aids off of years and years and years of putting Band-Aids on, now the Lord can do some surgery and he can go deep and get rid of the hurt, get rid of the infection, get rid of the nastiness better than we ever could have by just piling more Band-Aids on. That's the culture of safety is all of a sudden when we get to peel that off and now, Lord, you just, you just do your thing. Let me, let me finish this point here. I don't want us to leave here thinking that we need the elders of the church to lift up our needs before the Lord. I don't want us to leave here. This is not a system here to where the higher up you are in the church, the more likely God is to hear your prayers. It's not the truth. When the veil was torn, he gave all of us equal access, an all-access pass to heaven, to him, to himself, to all of himself. And the veil was torn from heaven to earth to give us that invitation to bring heaven down to earth. So now all of a sudden, all believers were made equal in that moment to where we don't need a high priest, we don't need a day of atonement, we don't need the holiest of holies to go on our behalf one day a year to God on our behalf of our needs. We now get to go to him ourselves. The point I believe James was making here is include the church, include the body. There's, there's benefits of church leadership. There's training. There's counseling. There's those things that churches can offer that you may not be able to have on your own. So we get to Mark 16, 14 through 18. And I just, this is only in a, an attempt to say you don't need an elder to pray for healing for you or for your, your family member or for your friend or for the person next to you in an office. You can do this on your own. It says this. Now, now I believe this. This is one of Jesus' last statements on the earth as Jesus. And I believe some of his last statements need to be our top priorities. He says this. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. I love Jesus. 
I, I just love sometimes his leadership style. Like I just, we're going to get into that in a moment. But it, it says this then, verse 15. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. I love that. These signs will. Everybody say will. They will accompany those who believe. It doesn't say they might or they're available to. It says they will. And it says, they in my name will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, they will not hurt them. And then it says, they will place their hands on sick people and they, everybody say, will recover. The believers will lay hands on the sick. They will drive out demons. They will do these things. Miracle signs and wonders will follow those who believe. All right? They will recover. This is a promise. This is an invitation for us to just start laying hands on people and seeing them recover. I love, I love the opportunity when I was riding regularly every day in the back of an ambulance. Now my role's changed a little bit. I don't see that as often. And I remember one time this guy was off an entire year, an entire year from work because of epileptic issues. He was having seizures, couldn't work. He was uh, driving a trash truck. So his first day back, I get called out. He fell off the truck and dislocated his shoulder. It was mangled. It was nasty. It was bad. I loved it. So I get in the back of the ambulance, and he's hurting bad. He's doing this. This whole thing's, like, mangled. I was like, man, and he's just, like, down. He's like, oh, I need to support my family. I need to provide for my family. This was my first day back to work. I was like, man, do you mind if I pray for you? Would that be okay? I said, I believe, I've seen God do some pretty crazy things. Can I just pray for you? Can I pray peace and maybe even healing? Oh, yeah, man, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. I believe in God. I was like, well, would you believe? I said, do you believe in healing? Do you believe in miracles? Oh, yeah, yeah, I believe in all that. I said, all right, let's just pray. And all of a sudden, I'm praying. I do this gentle, Lord, we just declare in the name of Jesus, pop. It just literally popped back into place. And I was like, what? This is amazing. I laid hands on the sick, and he recovered. He went to the doctor. They did x-rays. They did everything, proven nothing. He was back to work the next day. It was crazy, radical healing. Don't always need elders. The purpose of the context of James 5 is a safe place to confess your sins one to another, to pray for each other, and you're bigger, part of something bigger than yourself. Now, let me, let me finish this up. These were points and nuggets that I was going to talk about. I've got five minutes to close. Adam, you can just come. I'm going to wrap this up quick, I think, maybe, possibly. Yeah. It's a chance. So I believe this. Jesus, God himself, set up. The first organizational structures and the best leadership you can have, okay? I, I believe in this, and, and some of the nuggets that I was getting this morning very quickly was the first thing I believe he wanted to define culture and leadership. So if you're a leader of your home, if you're a leader in a business, if you're a leader in an organization, if you're a part of it, I believe that the first thing he set up was the structure of family to have a healthy culture with Adam and Eve. I believe that was it. The design for organization, the design for management, the design for, 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 for church and ministries is in and within the context of family. Listen, he started with a, with a bride and a groom. He ends with a bride and groom by him returning for a beautiful bride without blemish. That's what this message is. We're getting to the place, and our heart is to be a church that's a beautiful bride functioning as a family without blemish. Now, we got some jacked up things still. We're not all the way there. We have human beings involved in some of this, okay? We're not perfect. We let people down. We break promises by accident. Like, we're not perfect. 
But our goal is to be a beautiful bride who's in unity, loving one another, celebrating who each other is, and honoring each other rather than stumbling over who we're not. That's the context of family. That's the first tip in leadership I think God planted on this earth was in the context of family. The next one that came to my mind this morning, the next structural thing, was when Moses' father-in-law said, it's too big for you. Moses, you need to practice delegation and empowerment. You need people helping you. You're doing too much on your own. So I think the next thing, the first thing was family for culture. The second thing was structure for empowerment, delegation, and for things to function in an organized manner. Our goal is not to become an organization. Our goal is just to be organized, to function the way God's called us to function as a family. See, there's a difference there. A river is supposed to flow, but without banks, it becomes a swamp. We don't want to affect the river of the Holy Spirit flowing through this place. But there has to be some perimeters. Otherwise, our river just becomes a swamp. and We don't want to be the Dead Sea. We want to be the river of living waters. The third thing that came to me this morning was in the, in the corporate grace, the, the, the body blessing, you know, the, the experience in church and family in this context would be when Jesus modeled it. So the first is the culture, the second is the structure, and the third is a father. The third is a father, it's affirmation, it's teaching, it's guiding, it's, it's teaching the principles, it's teaching through it. And I believe it was the model for any transitions. So first you had Jesus that that modeled it. He demonstrated. He demonstrated signs, wonders, and miracles. He demonstrated preaching the Sermon on the Mount. He demonstrated love. He demonstrated kindness and generosity and serving others and humility and going low. He demonstrated everything the disciples would need to know to eventually lead it on their own. He modeled it. Then what he did is he co-led, and he led with them. At times, just like in this context, he, he, he rebuked them. Remember when, when it was chaos on the boat and they're all scared. We're going to get shipwrecked. Ah. Jesus is sleeping at the bottom of the boat. He's resting in perfect peace. Why? Because he's never worried. He's never stressed out about your circumstance. He's never concerned it's not going to work out in your best interest. And then he comes up and he says to the disciples, he says, I've given you all the power and authority. Why didn't you rebuke the waves and the wind? And then he does it. Again, doing that with them. And then the last thing he does, he empowers them teaches, he molds, models, then he co-leads with them, and then he passes on to them, and he's there for guidance for a short period before he leaves and empowers the entire world to them. Now, that's the model of leadership. That's the model of structure, and I believe that's, that's one benefit you get in a church. If Listen, in order to be a good leader, you have to first be a good follower. So there's a few things that I've learned that, that I feel that, that the church corporate worship experience, the corporate expression, the body, the community of believers, I like to refer to as the bride, offers, and a few of them are teamwork. You're better together than you are alone. God didn't, God didn't create a world where we had to be alone. God created a structure where we have family. We have lifelong bonds. We have the bond of peace. We have unity. We have these things to where we can encourage one another. We can be a team. Yes, it's an individual thing for heaven, for salvation, for sin, for worship, but it's also a corporate blessing. The next thing is honor. I get to actually learn honor. I get to come in relationship and I get to honor people even when I disagree with them. I get to honor people even when they're not where they're supposed to be. I get to honor people when they're not honoring me. I get to honor people and I get to, I get to honor others and their leadership. I get, to, I get to see what God's seeing in people. I get to honor and even come under oftentimes. Another one would be submission. This is a great place to learn submission. 
And I'm telling you, when you learn submission, you learn honor, you learn some of these valuable things, you are set up for success for the kingdom in the world. You're set up for success to reach the people around you because now it's not just about me being right. Every time I travel anywhere, whether it's a church with 10 people, 1,000 people, our church in Mexico, I always tell the pastor, I said, I'm here to serve you. I'm submitting to your authority. That's a powerful thing. I'm submitting. You're the pastor. And in Mexico, you're my pastor. And I'm submitting to you. And we're here just to add value to you. We want to surrender and we want to submit and we want to just serve you. That's how I come in. When I'm not the leader and it's not my house and it's not the place where I lead, I'm coming in subject to their leadership, their authority. And I'm going to honor that and I'm going to submit to that. This is one of those places that we get to do that. I love it when I'm sitting in a class here or I'm sitting under a preaching here and Josh is speaking or Nicole or, or, or Steve or anybody and then I get to now submit to what they're speaking on the stage and I get to just listen and take it in and grow from that. It's a great feeling for me. The other thing is humility. There's this verse in the Bible that's kind of challenging. Think of everybody else as better than yourself. See, humility does this thing to where now we're all equal. And now what happens in humility is if somebody's doing better than me in humility, I get to cheer them on and continue to raise them up and continue to just blow wind and pray for them and bless them. You know, oh, wow, they have a better house than me. Woo, God's blessing them. Wow, they just got another promotion. Oh, wow. Wow, they preached better than me. That's amazing. Aren't we blessed with a rich inheritance at Upper Room? Oh, that person led worship better than me. Oh, man, that person got up and got a word and glory just came down. That hasn't happened to me for a long time. Isn't that awesome? It doesn't matter who gets the glory. It doesn't matter who does it. It doesn't matter when heaven comes or when revival breaks out as long as it happens and God gets the glory. That's humility saying this. he wins. It's, it doesn't matter. There's a couple more things here. Submission. I talked about that. Family. Family. Man, what a beautiful thing. We get to model family to the people around us. We get to model family. Oh, man, had a couple of amazing girls living with us for a couple years. Got to model healthy family. There was this one kid named Cameron, and he was part of our youth group. Nicole and I were the youth, youth pastors here for about seven years before we were the pastors. And we, we had a Sunday morning church, normal church like this, and then we had Sunday night youth church, youth service, and sometimes we'd have 80 to 100 teenagers coming out just for youth service. And uh, I only believe we're going to get that again. Woo! I'm excited for that. We never officially hit 100 teenager members, and that was always our goal. We hit like 80-some. We were always excited. Like we felt like we were passing a torch to set up the next generation, that this church would have a youth group of 100 youth members. And uh, I believe we're on the brinks of something amazing, and we have new youth leaders that are, that are uh, officially being uh, put in in youth leadership, and Micah and Jackie, we are so excited. We're going to formally introduce them in the future. But here's the deal. This kid, so we would have kids over for lunch and different things between services because uh, we just had a few hour window there. And one time we brought Cameron over to our house. He was 17, he's from inner city Dayton. His mom was a drug addict and uh, he came in and, and we just got a bunch of leftovers, threw them out on the counter. We all served ourselves and then we sat at the dinner table. And all of a sudden I, I see Cameron's kind of like emotional and he's kind of tearing up. I was like, what's going on, buddy? You, yeah. He's like, you guys actually do this? He's like, I've only ever seen this on TV. He's like, people really do this? 
It was his first time ever, ever in his life sitting at a dinner table. If he got food himself, he would just get a TV tray or from a couch or in a car or whatever. It was his first time ever, 17 years old, sitting at a dinner table. He's like, you do this? I was like, yeah, we do it almost every night, man. It's his family. We learn about each other. We ask questions. We talk about our days. And he's just like, man, we get to model family to people that may have had unhealthy families. We get to model family to people that may have not experienced sitting at the Lord's dinner table. We get to do this. It's amazing. I've noticed this, that oftentimes hurt people hurt people. There's such a blessing in corporate experience in the bride. There's such a blessing. In, and when you can come into it with, with honor and submission, and it's not to say I have the ultimate say. One of the beautiful things about my submission is it's a team. We have a team of pastors that make decisions. Now, oftentimes I guide and I help cast vision and different things, but the ultimate say isn't up to me. That's a beautiful thing because when things are going good, I'll take the credit, but when it's going bad, it's all their fault. I'm just kidding about that. But here's the thing. What we've experienced is I, I love house churches. I love them. I love ministries and launches and new churches and new things. I love the power of sending. Paul sent. Paul commissioned. Sometimes what happens is we see people start their own thing or, or launch their own thing or have their own house church. And oftentimes it comes out of church hurt. Oftentimes it comes out of not the willingness to submit or honor or even come into unity with people you have disagreement with. So a lot of times people flippantly just go do their own thing and they're not sent. They just launch their own thing. Now we on our front page of our website say, want to start a house church, contact us. Because we believe that, that one of the next moves is this real movement of house churches, of people meeting in their homes and in the temple. Now what happens is oftentimes people get hurt by the church. They become rebellious. They become hurt. They become um, uh, skewed of the, what the church should be. And then they start their own thing without any submission to any other authority or any connection to a corporate body for corporate worship, corporate experiences, impartations. And they're doing their own thing. Now, some of that can be very unhealthy because they've never themselves submitted long-term or they've never themselves honored in disagreement or confronted in these things. So what happens is now you have a body, a group of believers that are being birthed from the same herd. Now, here's, here's the thing. When we come into a corporate experience, there's a difference between launching something and sending somebody or commissioning somebody to launch it. And I'm very careful in what I join or who I partner with or, or who we're in covenant with because I feel that people always need to be part of some type of covering, some type of mentorship, some type of accountability system. And if we move outside the context of that, it gets really dangerous of, of who the person is and what they're reproducing. I'm saying that all to say this. I love house churches and I love other movements and I love launches. We have supported, we have mentored people through. We have launched other movements and churches and house churches. But the difference is, were they sent or did they start this thing on their own from her? Because being sent is different. And, and what, here's the deal. If you're still connected to a body, then you still get the benefits of the impartation. You still get the benefits of the resources. You still get the benefits of corporate worship. You still get the benefits of submission and honor and family in these contexts of what an umbrella of what a true healthy church should look like. So all that was to say this. We're, we're, we're going to do a, a small activation here, and then we're going to send somebody. And uh, we're super honored to, to send uh, a couple, a young couple, going to Fresno, California. 
And uh, so this will be one of their, if not last weeks with us. And uh, they're going out to be with family. And they've asked to be prayed for and sent and commissioned. And uh, it just makes a whole lot of sense for them to be with their blood family right now and, and uh, what's going on. So we're so honored that you've been running with us and that you've been part of our body. And, and Mike, he's even been a leader in a church before. And he came in here just so with the very qualities I spoke about today, with honor, with submission, with humility. And they both are just so, so, so sweet. So what I'd like to do is, first off, can we just all, there's a song we're going to sing, my, one of my favorite songs. Thank God Adam could play it on acoustic because it was like I didn't ask the band to do it. And if they don't practice, it's not fair to them. At least I've been told that. No, I'm just kidding. So, so Adam's going to play this song. To our God, we lift up one voice. To our God, we lift up one song. And then uh, I think it says then we sing hallelujah, right? So hallelujah is the most universal, translated word on the universe. It's the only word, it, it means the same thing in more languages than any other word in the universe. Hallelujah means we exalt God. He's highly exalted. He's lifted up. So I just thought we could gather around the room and hold hands and we could just sing this song and then we'll commission Mike and Martha and, and let them um, just, just really send them to, uh, to their next chapter. But can we...